Um, thank you to everyone joining us online and here at the ASU California Center at the historic Herald Examiner Building. With great respect, Zocalo Public Square acknowledges the Yuhaviatum, the first people of this ancestral and unceded territory of Yangna that we now know as downtown Los Angeles. We honor their elders, past and present, and the Yuhaviatum descendants who are part of the Gabrielino Tongva and Fernandeno Tataviam nations. We recognize that the Tongva are still here and we are committed to lifting up their stories, culture, and community. As Kuyam, we recognize our responsibility and obligation to care for their land. I'm Bianca Collins. I'm Director of Public Programs at Zocalo Public Square, an Arizona State University media enterprise. At Zocalo, our mission is to connect people to ideas and to each other. Everything we do is free and everyone is welcome. We publish original writing and present conversations like this one. You can find us at ZocaloPublicSquare.org, on podcast platforms, and on YouTube, so please subscribe. Tonight, we are excited to co-present this special evening of performances and conversation together with the Poetry Lounge, asking, does democracy need poets? We invite our in-person audience to join us in Hollywood at the Poetry Lounge after our reception tonight for their weekly open mic night, the largest in the nation. It's an honor to introduce our moderator, Alicia Wise. Alicia is an award-winning poet, educator, and speaker, originally from Camden, New Jersey. She is the co-founder of Spoken Literature Art Movement, the director of program development for Street Poets Incorporated, and a co-host at the Poetry Lounge. She has been featured in outlets such as OWN TV, BET, and the LA Times, Bustle, Afropunk, PBS, and BuzzFeed, and has collaborated with the ACLU, the Shabazz Center, the Nantucket Project, Brave New Films, and the Google Interstellar Project. All right, that's all from me. Over to you, Alicia. Hello, hello, thank you. Thank you so much. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome, and thank you for joining us. My name is Alicia Wise, and I am so pleased to be your host for our evening of performances and lovely conversation. As you have heard, I am part of the Poetry Lounge, which is helping to put on this amazing evening. The Poetry Lounge is a historical open mic space based here in Los Angeles, serving the community with workshops, events, productions, slam teams, our traditional open mic space, and so much more. Now, to proceed with our evening, I'm just gonna ask for a little bit of a snap. Is that okay? Can I get a snap from our audience? It is my pleasure to introduce our first guest, Bo Sia. Bo is a Tony Award-winning poet and the author of three books of poetry, most recently, Well Played. He continues to explore his creativity to evolve his relationship with himself, the world, and the ways in which we are possible. His current work is helping a friend have a chance at a full recovery. Originally commissioned by the Center for Cultural Power before the 2020 election, We Voting is a poem to inspire the Asian American and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander community and connect their lives in solidarity with the struggles of other marginalized peoples. Without further ado, please snap it up, give it up again for both of you. You the firstborn son, first to graduate, or first to run a studio, we voting. Whether you second gen, Gen Z, or generation, we've been here since way before Angel Island, we voting. Whether you're just coming back from tour number two, being on call at the ICU, or living BTS in all you do, we Voting, whether you're raising another's anak, caring for your habibti, or becoming the next Bruce Lee, we voting. Whether you're a descendant of the silenced, granddaughter of survivors, or the makuahine of a movement, we all voting. That's the word, put a 
put on my unkong. Ask your influencer. Read it in the tea leaves. Because we showing out for the great show we've been a part of since before railroads and your parents could get married. To show ourselves that we shape the story of America too. Because we voting for children yet able to protect themselves, for tomorrow to no longer fear what harms today, for places forgotten by cycles past, to honor those who couldn't, to be there for those so that we are represented instead of blamed because no one tells us who we are, each of us staking our claim in what's at stake. Each of us connected to what voting will make. All of us leaving the fence to cast a promise in this land. So, unburden your quiet. Save face from the future. Find the yes inside. Because we need your vote for our cultures. It's time. <sighs> All right. So it's safe to say the audience is warmed up. Thank you so much, Bo. Now, I am pleased. I am so pleased to have the honor of introducing Sekou Andrews and Steve Connell. Sekou Andrews is one of the most successful spoken word poets in the world. This artist and innovator has dedicated his career to pioneering a mainstream industry for spoken word. He has built a seven-figure company on poetry, has been featured on dozens of major TV networks, has innovated a new category of public speaking called Poetic Voice, and has garnered prestigious awards, including a Grammy nomination for Best Spoken Word Album, Sekou's career is driven by his mission to not only inspire the world, but to teach people how to be inspiring themselves. Steve Connell is an entertainer, poet, and writer who knows ideas change the world, require a voice that will make it listen. He has performed for President Obama and Oprah Winfrey and has appeared at festivals like Sundance and Amnesty International Human Rights Arts Festival. He is a national poetry champion and accomplished playwright. His most recent work, Imperfect, premiered with Lincoln Center's Restart Stages series in 2021. His, his celebrated piece, We Are the Lions, has over 10 million views. And his first short film, The Universe is Chewing, was awarded a 2019 Best Shorts Humanitarian Award. My God, poets are amazing. Can y'all just give a round of applause real quick? <laughs> on March 7th, on March 7th, 1965, 600 men, women, and children began a march from Selva, Selma to Montgomery in a demonstration aimed at securing voting rights for all Americans. Upon crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge, they were met by extreme violence at the hands of law enforcement and civilians in a day that has come to be known as Bloody Sunday. Water Stained Black, written by Steve Connell and developed with Sekou Andrews, was written to remember and honor those who sacrificed so much in the name of equal voting rights and to remind us those rights, like our democracy, are still very much in question. Please welcome Steve and Sekou. 600 peaceful protesters marching to Montgomery from Selma were attacked by Alabama state troopers and white supremacists as they crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge. The day was March 7th, 1965, but it has since been known as Bloody Sunday. And I stood on Pettus Bridge. This bridge in Alabama. Above water that can never be blue like it was and listen to the winds like Victrola's play memories yesterday of men women who fought 
praise. And on this very spot were slayed. They sought to vote. Sought to vote. And have their say. And not but God could turn them away. And God, oh, oh he was on their side. And days later, Dr. Dr. King, King arrived. And stood with them on the bridge that day above the Not blue water. And see, it's not the brown of mud or the blood, red blood that has dripped down, that has changed the way this water looks. It's the black ink of promises made scrubbed loose from white paper by gray hands that are done with with having having color declarations declarations rewritten and written written again again like blank pages pages filled with unintelligible scripture written in invisible ink by illiterate men move along there is nothing nothing to to see see here here. just empty words Words and unfulfilled promises written written by poets with no legs who wonder why their words don't Don't move don't don't march march like sweet words that come from the heart but have have no heart behind them, they go nowhere. Oh, but see, Martin is not that poet, right? So he grabs Jefferson's pen and rewrites the poem again in big letters, bold and black. I will not give my freedom back. Now you could try to take it, but, but you, you won't succeed. succeed. My vote is the proof. I am free. Oh, and he stuffed that poem in the ballot box. Oh, but his words had legs that kicked the the box box open. Right, so he Mm. gathers up the splinters and he builds letters like crosses that spell freedom. freedom. And he burns that shit on the White House lawn and says, I am no little boy building fires I can't control. I light light up up the night night so you can look around and see things clearly. clearly. From From this this moment, moment, I will not bring us back back but forward, forward, baby. baby. I move. I march. I walk. I won't stop. I stand. Above the not blue water that hasn't been blue since Sunday. Bloody Sunday. Dance with dogs sent to sick them while old men they kick them, move to the frizzles and nightsticks they hit them. And in that moment, all men, little girls, all men, little boys, all men, open their eyes. All men are created equal. And realized, government of the people, and realized, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And realized America, America puts, puts its, its poets, poets to work, work telling lies. lies. And I say that not as a Democrat. Uh. Not as a Republican, party be damned. I I am an American, American. and I want the promises of this land made good. And toward that, we are all accountable. So if you are proud to be an American, prove it. And if you're not, then change change America America into something something you will be proud to be a part of. And Dr. King would say the same. So... We may not all be in the same boat, but but we we are are in the same water, staying black Black. with old ideas whose time has come. Looking Looking for new words, looking looking for clean paper, looking looking for fresh hands to write in in big letters, letters, bold and black. Until I have freedom, I cannot sit back. And I thank God Almighty because he birthed us free. And it was a man who took that right from me. And I'm desperate to see who Who? will give it back, who Who? will write in big letters, bold and black, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all people were created to live equal and to die free. Now, don't just say now, it. Now, don't just say it. Make it be. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep that round of applause going, Kendi. Give it up again for Sekou Andrews, Steve Connell, and Bo Sia. Yes, yes, oh my gosh. I feel a little bit recharged, I hope you do too. Thank you so much again for everyone joining us here and from home for all of the love. It is definitely felt, I'm not even doing poems today and I know it's felt so much, so thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're enjoying yourself, say, "Mm mm-hmm. If you're enjoying yourself, say, ah. 
All right, I hope that felt like a little stretch, a little stretch. So um, we're about to move on to our panel, everyone. We're going to move on to our panel event. But before we do, I would like to quickly, quickly, but sincerely thank all to have made, who have made this spectacular evening happening. Zocalo. Uh, Zocalo Public Square, ASU California Center, the Poetry Lounge, and each of you spectacular audience members tuning in here and from home. Please show some more love for the poets who have joined us as well. They are going to come back to the stage, y'all. Please give it up for Bosia, Steve Connell, and Sekou Andrews. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. That's how wow. it's done, Bo. Take the stage down. How y'all feeling? Feeling good. Feeling good now. Good. I'm over here trying to catch my breath, like I just did something. <laughs> um, I guess. Give it up for our moderator. Uh -huh. Yes. Thank you. It is an honor to be here today. I am definitely amongst leg legends, and I know that for sure. I feel like a, a, a youth poet up here. Um, but let's get into these panel questions. So the first one I have, um, Stephen Seku. You both wrote the poem you performed today uh, together, Water Stained Black, initially written for voters, voters' rights initiative involving President Biden and uh, 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 Vice President Harris, correct? And, and it got not like, initially written, but the last time that we, uh, the, when we created the video, it was mm -hmm. for an event with right. The, gotcha. the video that we just just released yesterday for Martin Luther King Day was was created initially. Gotcha. For the Selma Jubilee, yeah. 57th awesome. anniversary. Either way, it's powerful. Yeah. Which leads me <laughs> to my question. Um, this is for all of you. What does it mean to you? And I want to start off with the personal, internal, before I get to the outward a bit. What does it mean to you, internally, personally, spiritually, however you want to uh, name it, to have our poetic voices when it comes to poetry called on for such big matters in society and in the world at large. What does it mean for you personally? And anyone can answer this. Uh, mm. Personally, I, I, got, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't like oh, see this cool. oh, see yeah. Listen. But, but, uh -huh. So like, <laughs> like personally, I, I tend to, my initial reaction is actually quite conflicted because I ask, you know, who am I to be able to contribute to this? Who am I to have any impact on this? But I think throughout the years, because we've been fortunate to do this for a while, um, I feel really blessed because it's important for us in this country where language is used to exploit us and against us to use poetry as a way to elevate our understanding of language and see through the lies and get to the truth. Because poetry doesn't live in the literal, because poetry can't be propagandized as easily, hmm. it helps us as a society to find the real truths that we're striving for together, even if we use different words in our everyday lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Bo. Y'all yeah. see the way he conjugated propaganda? Just like that. <laughs> Poetry. Propaganda. <laughs> is that I not a word? No, that was perfect. But oh. see, that's the beauty of being a poet, is as soon as you matter. say it, it that's immediately right. becomes a word. Confidence, that's man. That's right. Just no, confidence. you said it well. Um, and, and <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I mean, I think to me there's something, uh, you know, especially in moments like this, I think just life in general, but, but in moments when language is, is being uh, uh, damaged and manipulated when truth is being uh, sort of turned into, uh, uh, you know, weaponized. I think then there's, there's we all do what we can, and as, mm -hmm. as an artist and as a poet, the, the, that ability to try to, to, to speak to the moment, try to sort of amplify the powers of, of truth, of the, 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 the values system, the issues that, that matter most, and try and help make uh, uh, give the medicine a little more sugar, hmm. and uh, and I think that 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 to be able to do that, especially in moments, because it all is it all just how can we help? And, and so yeah. we've been blessed with with pens and, and voices, and so it's an honor to be able to, Absolutely. to use them. Give the medicine a little bit more sugar. All yeah. right. <laughs> Did you want to add to that? I, I mean, I think you know I, we all share such similar consciousness that if I was to depart from the consciousness aspect of it. Um, but look at the platform aspect of it for poets because I've dedicated my, my career really to helping to create more of, a, of an industry for spoken word. Mm -hmm. like poets don't have careers. And I think what's personally powerful for me is mm -hmm. when of all of the people that you could choose to speak 
on some major platform mm -hmm. or some major issue. When a poet is called on, it's such an incredible honor because yeah. it's an honor of our art form. It's a recognition of the power of our art form. Mm -hmm. You expect the poet to have a level of consciousness because people expect the poet to be grassroots mm -hmm. at the local Deep. open mic, even, it's, even if it's the world's biggest open mic, but still, DPL, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what up, Lounge? Open mic, you expect that to be, oh, this grassroots thing around the corner. So then when it appears at the inauguration, when it appears at, you know, at, at, the, at the forefront of some social movement, mm -hmm. that to me personally is a moment right. of pride for our art form transcending. Mm. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Well, y'all are leading to other questions, but I'm going to wait till we get there. Y'all are saying some very important things. So for all of you, again, what helped jumpstart your interest in this work of using your voices uh, for democracy or liberation? Um, what called you to this uh, historically or what keeps calling you? What keeps you here? So what called you to this work and what's keeping you here? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, what's keep, oh, hello, Bo. Bosif, <laughs> may I call you Bosif? Um, the, uh, uh, what's keeping me here is now, I mean, that's the, you know, they talk about 10,000 hours. I think the three of us have probably, we're, we're, we're hitting 30,000, 40,000 hours. And to be blessed enough to be able to make a living as an artist mm -hmm. and to be constantly pushing into those places of how, how in a time when it literally, and maybe, you know, it feels like the world is at stake, how do we all galvanize together rally together to save the world. And so there is a, there is a sense that, again, I, I, you know, I, I think that uh, li liars, by that, um, this is a theory I'm messing with, so hopefully I can get it out, but, but liars over the last few years, I've seen that liars, by, by definition, they're storytellers, hmm. right? And they need to be believed, right? Like if I'm telling you a lie, the only power in, in what I'm saying is if you believe it. So I have to become good at telling the story I'm trying to say, especially because it's not right. true. Whereas I think voices for truth are oftentimes not concerned with the story because it just happens to be the fucking truth, right? right? Like, I, why do I got to convince you what's true? The sun's out. You're sitting here. This is bold. This is say cool. We all understand it. But we're seeing why. Because I think now we're in a world where we have machines and technology and people in place to, to make truth debatable. Mm -hmm. Because of that, I think... The, the, now in this moment, it, it, truth needs better storytellers, <laughs> right? And I think that's, that's certainly what, what, what has me very excited to be here because, because you need the person who's curing something to be in the lab curing yeah. it. Yep. And I feel like he needs the partnership of somebody who's, who's spent their life learning how to, how to talk to, and tell stories to, to, to partner up. So right. I think that's a big part of, I think, both maybe what got me into it, even though then the truth was, mm -hmm. I love you. I love you. Please, please, let's go get a drink. Please, let's go home. Please, you know, whatever that is. And then now is, you know, it's, it's elevated to, 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 to a higher issue. But, it, but at the same place, I think that's that truth needing to the come truth. out. So does, does it feel like a responsibility? Yeah. 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 That's what mm -hmm. I was going to say is I feel like there's, there just comes a responsibility. Once you start taking the stage and you're using your voice. Once you find your voice, you feel a responsibility to harness, well, you feel a responsibility to use your voice um, in certain ways, and then you feel a responsibility to harness the power of your voice because you're recognizing how powerful your right. voice is. And then you start to realize, just like, you know, how, what you were saying, like the truth can be weaponized, stories can be weaponized, right? So mm. your voice can be weaponized. So then you start to feel a responsibility for, okay, I need to make sure that I keep a certain amount of consciousness with, consciousness with my voice, right? Yeah. I was listening to some of my old albums recently, and, you know, you find yourself going, of course, all the usual, ah, I can't believe my writing sucked that bad, right? <laughs> I can't believe I should have wrote that better. But there's also that, ah... Uh, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I thought that then. I can't believe that's the way I express. Uh -huh. that's just the, the world has changed now. I don't know if I would express that in this particular way. Yeah. I feel like I, I, would, I, I was careless with my voice in that moment. And I'm suddenly, you know, I've, I've grown. I've evolved as a human being. Mm -hmm. And therefore, our voices evolve because we recognize that there's more things that we need to be responsible uh, to as we grow. So I definitely feel like that's one of the thing that keeps, things that keeps me in it as well as just you know, the bigger my voice gets in the world, mm. the more responsibility it carries, and I have to be conscious of how I'm wielding that power. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you're still here. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. All right. 
I'm gonna move on to the next question, Liz. Okay, Bo, you like you was in deep thought over there. So the next question is a two-part question, and Bo, I'll start with you. Um, the poem you read today, "We Voting," mm. it made a, from what I saw, it made a huge impact online, uh, politically. Brought you to the stage today. Um, can you tell us more about how that poem came to be, or more about the piece? Um, and a question for all of you is. What's an example in which you've witnessed your poetry or someone else's work change the shape of a room, a person, or any space? Um, so two-part question. Bo, can you tell us more about the poem you brought to us today? Because I love that piece. Um, and can all of you tell us an example of when you've seen, witnessed your own work or someone else's work change the shape of a room or a people? Right on. Uh, thank you very much for that question, Alicia. Uh, I'm really glad you asked that, actually, because that's something I definitely want to share with this, this group and the audience online. Uh, one of the reasons why I agreed to do this and share this poem today, even though it's from 2020, is that uh, I don't want the world to have to rely on poets to move to the scale we need movement. I want the world to learn from us how to express their own poetry, because we'll need all those voices. So in speaking to that poem, it was important to me to recognize that what I was being commissioned and asked to do was not to solve the world, but to incite a single action. And if you've been following the AA and HPI community in the last 10 years, as we've evolved and diversified and the diaspora of our voices have been expressed online, there's also been tension and conflict around that um, amongst ourselves. And I wanted to create a poem that would inspire a larger percentage of us while feeling inclusive to most of the overall, what we think of as that entire uh, diaspora. Um, it was important for me to never use the word Asian American or yellow or motherland. It was important for me to use words that many people in this audience would not know the meaning of because it was important to have both the feeling of inclusiveness and specificity. And I don't say this to um, sort of hype my poem. I'm trying to say this so that as you all write your own poems in your own communities, in your own groups, Recognize that you don't have to fall into the traps of what the literal is asking you to do, what the debate club on the news stations are asking you to say or how to say it, that you can go directly, locally, authentically to the people you speak to. You do not have to be understood by all. We just mm -hmm. need to all be speaking, yes. right? So this poem structure is actually quite simple. And I wanted to be able to say this so that if afterwards at the reception, y'all wanted to speak about how to deconstruct it in your own worlds and stuff, I'm totally happy to do that because it cannot just lie upon us because as you see these three bodies on stage, there is no way that we are an actual representation of what makes America. But we have an opportunity to encourage all of America, more people in the world, to represent that expression, yeah? Mm -hmm. Did that answer that? Oh, yes. Okay. Because <laughs> I'd be talking, and then I forget, and then context, <laughs> and, then and now we're over here. I get go. so happy you know when I mean? you talk about it. I thought it was great. <laughs> okay. oh, we'd be oh. talking. That's yeah, the next talking. Talking. We'd be yeah. voting. We'd be talking. <laughs> we'd, be we'd, be, we'd be marching. Yeah. Um, I, I, are you, I don't know. I don't know the question, so forgive me if I'm going to yeah. jump, because I want to get to what you're saying. But there's something just to sort of welcome you guys and, and, and really just sort of ground us in, in the moment, because I'm so proud to be on the stage with, with these people, to be not only with Zocalo uh, uh, and the lounge, but specifically, I mean, these are two, the same way you said it, like, like I've known Bo and Koo for, I mean, it's, it's around 20 years. Like when we didn't have gray hair? Like, like, like yeah. exactly, when so I when had more had hair. hair. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and, and like, I mean, so the, so the very beginning of, of like, uh, this might be the first time we've been on stage together since Declare Yourself. And Declare Yourself was that Norman Lear voting initiative like 20 years ago, where, I mean, it began with Bo writing poems and, and, and us auditioning. And mm -hmm. then it led to us writing poems. And there was this process. So it, there's just something meaningful about how it comes full circle. Mm -hmm. And to, to sit on stage with the two of you and, and, and to be rep by the lounge in Zogolo just, just means, means a lot. Yeah. And, and maybe in some ways that does indirectly answer your question in terms of, of, of seeing how our, how our work, hmm. you know, leads us forward. You know, I, w I was in uh, uh, Thousand Oaks, uh, repping 805. What's up, T.O.? And, and, and it, it started, like, I remember, like, Maya Angelou did her inaugural poem, and that became an assignment where I set me on a mission where mm -hmm. I, I want to be the inaugural poet. Mm -hmm. 
And I remember beginning to write poems about, about Martin Luther King as, a, as a, a ritual, in a way, as an honoring, and, and to now be here to create that piece, to create mm. it with Sekou, to perform it at Ebenezer Baptist Church with mm. Coretta King in the audience, to, to, with a declaration of independence, like to see that process and to understand that on some way, it is like Bo says, the way we just sort of activate each other, right? And, mm. and the closer we get as people, to, 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 to welcoming, to being honest, to, 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 to creating space for each other in an honest, authentic way in whatever your language is, mm -hmm. then you start to see that yeah. happening, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you talk about declare yourself. I, that was definitely one of the things exciting about the three of us being on the stage. Um, that tour was, you know, Norman Lear, TV legend, but heavily politically active, purchasing a an original print of the Declaration of Independence and saying, I want this to travel and inspire people to vote. And to your point, of all the people that he could have chosen, he said, mm -hmm. I'm going to attach spoken word poets to that tour. So, but what was so challenging um, was that it was a nonpartisan nonprofit tour, hmm. right? And so Norman had no, he didn't limit his expectations of what he expected from us. He was like, I want you. I want you getting everybody on their feet. I want them. I want them screaming and yelling. I want them. Yes, voting is is uh, is the way, voting. right? But you can't tell them to talk. You can't tell them what to talk about. You can't tell them about this proposition. Don't tell them who to vote for. Don't talk about this issue, right? So we felt so incredibly handcuffed that we had to go back and figure out how to reroute the power of our voice. Because poets, we're very partisan. Mm -hmm. You guys don't. Like, <laughs> we get on both stage and we'd be like, "This is what you need to do to fix the world," right? And suddenly it was like you can't speak about it in that particular way. So it really challenged us to have to find new pathways. And now I fast forward. And so as you talk about, you know, rooms that we've changed, that was one of my biggest experiences in changing huge rooms of people who were on the vent, who were on the fence about voting, who were mm -hmm. skeptical, who didn't believe. But we first had to figure out our, our unique personal positions with where we were with vote, voting, because all of us came in with different experiences. And, and that tour, we ended up registering over a million youth to vote. And so you talk about being able to, with the power of a nonpartisan mm -hmm. message, to be able to activate such mass civic engagement was huge. Fast forward now, I do a lot of work as a public speaker. And I go into rooms that are not all left or right, not all sharing the same particular political beliefs or social beliefs, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like three of the training grounds that were amazing for the work that I do to be able to galvanize a room were Declare Yourself, the right. tour, mm -hmm. was um, Slam. The lounge, yeah. hmm. Slam, right? Because in Slam, you talk about transforming a room. Oh my you gosh. go into a room that is hostile. It's not our we love poetry. It's I came here to watch the game, and now somebody just gave me a scorecard <laughs> and said, judge this poem. And I just I'm going, want a latte. I don't want right, You know what I mean? Yeah. And now you're imposing <laughs> on my drink or my game. And so I'm going to start off with giving you a one. But then eventually over time, it's like, oh, wow, that's like kind of crazy. Heard oh, this three. Oh, wow. Six, six and a You know what? You, you the, think you just earned a 9.3. You know what I mean? You see the bitterness coming out. I mean, he's still got stars. <laughs> they, they just wanted to watch the game, Seiko. <laughs> and so I feel like, you know, there's that winning over the room mm -hmm. and slam. And then the third training ground for me was being an a, a, a educator, fifth grade teacher, right? That in the classroom is an amazing training ground for public speaking because you got a hostile audience again. Like fifth graders, don't care what you did yesterday, don't care what you did earlier today, it's inspire me now, yeah. impress me yeah. in this moment. Mm -hmm. And you constantly have to regalvanize the room. And I think those were three unique experiences that trained me how to create transformation in a room from three different sort of industries and audiences, you know? Sorry, I'm like, I'm in my like fan moment right now. You're saying like really dope stuff. I'm also thinking of the transformation that also happens in classrooms as well. Um, just so many places, poetry just transforms rooms. Um, I have just a few more questions and I think I'm gonna cheat. I was gonna ask for my next one, are poets doing enough? I just said it out loud, so feel free to answer if you want. <laughs> but what I really wanna ask, I think is, what can be done to amplify what poets are doing? And I think you kind of already touched on this a bit, but what are some things that can be done to amplify the work poets are already doing? Like, I can put a finger on a many different reasons why some people don't want the works of many, especially spoken word artists, um, out there more. So what do you think can be done? Answer the first question if you want. Are poets doing enough? And then what do you think could be done to amplify our voices even more? 
I mean, certainly, it, I, my first response to our poets doing enough is yes, but maybe, no. but maybe poetry, <laughs> but maybe poetry isn't doing enough. You know, which so, is which is to say, yeah. I mean, I I think. Why are you blaming poetry? Hmm. <laughs> poetry didn't do shit. Okay, <laughs> poetry ain't never done, done, done nothing to nobody. I, they were saying we have more like a conversation, so I'm just conversation. talking about. Well, let's continue. <laughs> but I, but I mean, I, so I, I mean, I, I suppose you can get in on any any poet, this or that. But I, I guess there's some. To me, there is something about there is a rewiring that has been happening in our consciousness collectively hmm. around what poetry is, hmm. and and a resistance to what what poetry is. And I think so the, the work of, of essentially doing that, of, of pushing through and, and helping people recognize there is something interesting about, say, in our culture, mm -hmm. when do we look to poetry traditionally? And what we think of as poetry, right? Old dead white guys doing boring shit that doesn't relate to us. Because mm -hmm. there aren't a lot of people that have seen Bo relative to how many haven't, relative to how many haven't seen Sekou. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that, that the, but when we think of poetry, in the moment when somebody dies, mm -hmm. We think of poetry. In the moment at a wedding, we think of poetry at a christening. So there is, a, there is an innate understanding of this need for, for great language to, to help us move forward. I mean, I, you know, and I think that is what part of the work that is, is in terms of what I think poetry can do powerfully mm -hmm. in a way that, that no other art form or few other art forms can, mm -hmm. and how important it is in literally this moment to cut through. Um, that to me is, 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 is part of the work. Are we doing the work? I mean, I'll let Bo answer that so I can cut so, him off. Yeah, yeah, do, do that, <laughs> I, I'll be ready though, okay? So I mean, I would say this. Uh, I mean, I don't mean it in a, in a mean way. I, I just mean it like I don't think we're doing enough as poets. But I also think that part of why we're not doing enough is the level of overwhelming asymmetric warfare just bombarded upon all of society. Mm -hmm. But if we had more solidarity amongst ourselves and we could step back and nurture and galvanize and strengthen each other, I think we could do way more. Even just what Steve just said, like too often being raised in America, there's this aspect where you have to think of poetry almost in supremacist terms, mm -hmm. right? To get to your mortgage, to get to your vacation, to get to your retirement, right? To get all these things. But Steve was talking about occasions, hmm. right? The biggest moments in our lives, the things that make us human, the things that bring us together. Hmm. Poets could do more of that than waiting for checks. Right. And I'm included. I'm, I'm saying me, I'm saying because of my entire life, I learned the hard way. I shouldn't have missed all those weddings. <laughs> I shouldn't have been chasing those checks in my 20s. Yeah. It didn't amount to more than a name, but it didn't transform lives the way I've seen poets who give of themselves to the moment we are human. That has blown my mind. Right. And as far as what can we do, like, I really think that, look, I know these guys like 20 years. And we was on tour for like a year, and I was not the nicest dude to these cats. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but here's the truth. I appreciate we you saying that, Bo. I appreciate you saying We will never write like each other. Right. But we are all striving for the same thing for people everywhere. Mm -hmm. We may not all have the same level of language for it, the same way of thinking of it, but we are all striving for the same thing everywhere. Yes. And we do not have to hang out after this, for sure, Good. totally. But can we show more <laughs> solidarity to each other? Because too often we learn the hard way that poets are more alone than they present. Hmm. And we yeah. find that out in the most heartbreaking yeah. of ways. Do yeah. you know what I'm saying, Alicia? Yeah, yeah. yeah you know. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. how can we show each other more solidarity, yeah. more connection to each other's work? I don't have to, you know, I don't have to do everything with y'all, but I can show more solidarity for your voice, yeah. right. who it helps. Well, and, and, and I would say, and, and I'm, I'm kind of setting you up a little bit because I think it, it speaks nice. somewhat to the, to the industry when you talk about s setting up an industry. But what, what you just said to me that is so relevant is that the struggle you're talking about, and, and amen to everything you said, but it's because I think if a poet is really doing their job, it is the, the extent of, of sending uh, 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 reporters 
into the front lines, mm. except, and it can be literally into war, and it can be literally into, into specific places, but it's less, I think it's more like sending someone into a broken heart and asking them to report back. Sending someone into traumatized uh, panic attacks in the middle of, of, you know, or weeping on the side of the road mm. when a song comes on and, and reporting back. And so to some extent, there is a degree of guy going in blind into the broken, mm -hmm. trying to find language to articulate the healing, and then also find your way back to share it with somebody. Mm -hmm. And the degree to which then part of the trauma of being, being a, a, a poet is the degree to oftentimes you're, you're, the, the poet has to, has to fall behind the, the, the acts of oppression that Bo's talking about in terms of what it is to live in this society and play those fucking games. And so that's why part of it is to say, and that's because in America, there was this argument once between a, a classroom of, of, of Russian students and, and largely Russian and American students, and, and the language was basically, we love our poets more. No, we love our poets mm -hmm. more. And, 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 uh, and they said, well, how, how, do you, how do you prove it? In America, they said, well, we love our, uh, in, in Russia, we, you know how we know we love our poets? Because we kill them. Well, what do you do in America? Oh, we ignore them. And that trade-off between poetry doesn't matter at all, I got shit to do, versus it matters so much, my life is in danger if you can continue to, to spin these ghosts. And I think some degree of that elevation is, is what Ku does in terms of really pushing to say the power of what we do is important in a society that is, that is on the brink a little bit. Hmm. I yeah. try to... You can no, go ahead. I often try to think of a world without poetry and what that would be like. Actually, I think that might be my last question. But well, I do want to chime in on that answer. So I thought you were going to comment no, that's on good. that. That's good. I, I want to hear you on, chime in. I do want to say that, I mean, I think, you know, the first thought I had when you asked the question is, well, who does enough and who feels they do enough? I feel like when, you know, if you, if you live in this world with a sense of purpose and consciousness and activism, then you typically you carry around this sense of I'm not doing enough, we're not doing enough, there's always more to do. Um, so, you know, that would be my charge mm -hmm. as well. If, it's not, if poets aren't doing enough, tell me who is. Mm. Um, mm. But I think where uh, I probably shift a bit from your answer is I, I, I feel, 100, I 100% agree with everything you said, and yet I also feel like when I fell in love with spoken word poetry, I was chasing all the existing industries. I was gonna be a, a, a lawyer, I was gonna be a, a rapper, I was gonna be you know, acting, I was chasing all these. And when I accidentally stumbled on spoken word poetry and fell in love, there was this sense of, well, you can't do that and make a living. Hmm. Like, you have to go do one of these other things and do that on the side. Right. And that's what I felt was a shame. I don't feel like it should be an either or. I don't feel like we have to, we should have to decide between doing poetry or making a living, doing the wedding mm -hmm. or being able to pay our mortgage. And that's where I began to dedicate my life and my career to say we have to build models for long-term success for spoken word poets. I want young spoken word poets to be able to do, to tell their kid, tell their parents, I want to be a spoken word poet when I grow up. And the parents don't hear, uh -huh. I want to live off you. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, want, I want to be homeless. Like, <laughs> and, and, right. <laughs> and, and the parents may have the same reaction that they might have to hearing the kids say, I want to be a dancer or a comedian or an actor. But at least they have a sense that there is a trajectory for a comedian. At least mm -hmm. they have a sense that there is a career path. They may, they may still want their kid to be a doctor, mm -hmm. but at least they go, there is a path to success for this. But, mm -hmm. but there were so few models and paths for success for spoken word poets, and typically that trajectory is you're doing the, cl the clubs and the cafes, you're doing the DPLs, you're doing the fly poets, and then maybe you start doing colleges, the checks get bigger, the shows might get worse, and then that's it. You graduate and you, and you go off and get a job. You start teaching. You just 
publish books. You, you leave our art form. You take your skills as a spoken word artist and you go write for an HBO show. You go write lyrics for somebody else. You move to a different industry. I felt that was a shame. And when I left the multi-billion dollar hip hop industry for the multi-hundred dollar <laughs> spoken word industry, I was like, that's the part that needs to change. We need to have a higher perceived value for our art form because we are who you call for the funeral. We are who you call for the wedding. We are who you call for your most pivotal uh, 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 events in life. Why is it that you cannot attach a, a, a better value to our art form? So I, I feel I, I have turned down plenty of weddings in my life, and I wish that I could do them all, but I also know that when I turned them down, it was to do, uh, you know, uh, uh, something in the music industry, it was to do some major public speaking gig, it was to go back to my elementary school and talk to the kids, it was to do somebody else's funeral, it was to do all, uh, a breath, a full breath of all of the things. And sometimes I say, no, 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 this is for you for free. No, 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 you don't need to pay me, I'm not looking for a check, check take my check and donate it to a local poet. That happens all the time. But I fought for 10, 20 years mm -hmm. to make the people that can pay say, Seku comes attached with a paycheck. And if you paid this speaker and you paid this basketball player and you paid this artist and this DJ, you should expect to pay the poets. I did network television shows, network television shows that were poetry shows. And the bouncer, the DJ, the dancer, the actor, the host all got paid. And the poets did it for exposure. Exposure. That's baby. bullshit. <laughs> That's what I want to end. I want poets to be able to have a trajectory with their art Terrible form. memory. And I, and, you I know what I mean? and I love what you're saying there. And I also want to say that I agree with what he's saying. Because for me, it's like, I feel like we're saying the same thing. We are. We want yeah. to better honor each other, value each other, take care of each other. We want a pathway that if we are giving love that transforms lives, take care of us. That's right. Do not leave it us It shouldn't have been so cold. hard for you when you right, think back right. then. When we began, it shouldn't have been so when hard. We began, it was so hard. Right. And we should have made it easier, right? But my only concern moving forward is, Let's not go the way where we get lost. That's right. Let's not right? turn Let's not spoken word into hip hop. Let's not turn spoken word into hip hop. Into, right. Into right, right. right. Absolutely. Right. How to maintain the thing but we that should, made absolutely. it. But we should take care of ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. We shouldn't yeah. have to wonder, I can't get sick on stage because I can't afford the medical costs if I get COVID for this event. Right. right. I shouldn't have to think that. Right. Right. At the same time, there's that line. Absolutely. 100%. And the idea that says learning how to make you grow up in a community that teaches you how to make a living in the art form, and the second you get to that point, often the, the, the mm -hmm. industry as it exists teaches you to then leave the community behind right. because you're so busy, and that's what I hear and what you're saying, and it's how to do the both end and how to not feel that, that my success has to, there, there's so few opportunities for poet mm -hmm. that if it's me, it's because it wasn't you, and I, I had to hustle that night, and that's how, that's then the trick of exposure is to say, this could be the night. Yeah. If you do the fly <laughs> poet, which is one of the best showcases in the country that pays his poets properly, John Hensley, ladies and gentlemen, but if you do these, if you do these spaces, you should be lucky because no one's paying you, so why should I? And I think that's what we're trying to transform for yeah. sure. So. We have to get into the audience questions. And Follow another thing. And enough. <laughs> but I, I just quickly want to ask one of you. I'm just going to pick on one of you both. No. What is uh, poetry without democracy in one word? Or whoever wants to no, say no, it. Say? One word. What's uh, democracy without poetry? Tyranny. Um, yes. OK. Anybody else? Real quick, one word. What is democracy without poetry? Yes. Uh, we could come back. I put them on the spot. They was not prepared. Yeah. What? Well, well, the one word thing. I mean, but the, the it's tough to get poets one word. Shit. <laughs> we'll come I, back. I mean, well, the only, yeah, I can't say one word. I'll say it very quickly. Like that's the when we started with declare yourself with the Declaration of Independence. Uh -huh. It was the idea. You see me speaking fast to make it almost like one word. You've seen this, John. Is is that the idea was the the poet people couldn't read, so they had to recite it to activate people to war, and as a result. The, the declaration, in a sense, was like a slam poem, and how, if it was powerful enough, it would move people. But also, I think that's the, what the poem is about, the idea that it's not, it's just language unless it's real. Right. And so right now, we have the language of a democracy without a democracy. And so mm. somewhere in there, I'll get back to you, somewhere in there is how we would work back figure the out answer of how poetry. To put that democracy in without poetry is kind of... Yeah, what we mm. have with shittier writing. It's what we have right now with shittier writing. Voicelessness. Yeah, Voicelessness. Son of a bitch, they both did. Thank y'all. 
can we give a, a round of applause, a snap for our poets real quick? I'm just breaking up the energy real quick. And we're gonna get right into some audience questions, y'all. <laughs> in our in-person audience and you have a question, you can just line up over here beside me. I'm gonna get us started with a question that was submitted by someone in our online audience. Ruby would like to know, um, what is the most unusual place that poetic inspiration has struck? Hmm. The most unusual place. <laughs> hmm. um, <laughs> I mean, so there's a, there's a, there's a story that, <laughs> that Steve, that I told Steve that then he put into his, into one of his pieces um, as an example <laughs> of how it is that we're always writing. And it was a story of me just being brutal in, in some of my earlier days of my career, brutal to myself and grinding and grinding, grinding, no sleep, got on a plane, plane took off. I was feeling a little uh, nauseous, got up to walk to the bathroom and blacked out. Blacked out, fell on the ground, face first, you know, blood everywhere. Everybody's, th I came to and everybody's standing over me and they're like, We're, we gotta land the plane. And I'm like, why is everybody standing over me? Do not land this plane from me. This is gonna make an interesting poem. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's like always these moments that like, no matter what's happening to you, you're all, there's, there's two sides of your brain working and one of them is like, I'm, I'm living in the moment, I'm existing, and another, another one of them is always thinking like, what, do I, am I gonna write about this? And what would the name of this poem be? And what's gonna be the point of this? And so I feel like that happens all the time and I, there's probably very few experiences where I haven't had that kind of dual yeah. thought. You know. I, I don't have an answer for that, Ruby, but thank you so much for the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I, yeah, the only thing I can say, I mean, it, everywhere we are, we're, we're thinking of writing. So I don't, uh, one thing with, with my girls sometimes when we're in the middle of a fight, I'll be like, can I record this? Because I think this is good <laughs> shit. And uh, she's not too, she's not too happy when that happens. Right. So I record her secretly. That's the message, right? <laughs> I'm going to rewrite all your arguments, baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll always win that way. <laughs> Thank you, Ruby. All right. So we have more questions from our online audience. Um, let's go with the heavy hitter. Do you all think that democracy is sustainable in this country, in the world? <laughs> Real heavy hitter. Not without poets. Whoa. See how I brought it back? Yes. See how I brought it back? I guess I don't understand that question that you mean d democracy as a concept. I mean, I guess I would say this, like democracy is living. It's not static. So it's kind of on us whether or not it sustains. If we do not evolve and, and, and find ourselves in solidarity towards this, then it totally will not survive. Like democracy is, is not a given. Which it's is also like saying humanity it, will humanity survive? Is that sustainable? Then are any practices that humanity puts in place sustain? You know, if humans can't survive, then how can... I mean, if we choose to turn our backs on each other, then it'll all fall apart. Yeah. And that's just what'll happen. <laughs> Sustainability of democracy requires all of us, otherwise not democracy anyway. And even what we're in right now, we're still striving to achieve that democracy. We're mm -hmm. still not there yet, and we're already in danger of losing it all. Mm -hmm. You know, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we're still not there yet. We're already in danger of losing it. I, yeah. I remember hearing uh, 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 someone speak at the, uh, uh, a similar discussion like this at the Getty, and, and it was about sort of futurism and are we doomed and this, this notion of, and I remember the guy saying, it's easier for me to imagine the end of the earth than the end of capitalism, Wow. which is like some crazy shit. The yeah. idea that... Like, and so that to me There's is the a causality thing. there too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because, and that is then what democracy is. is and, and like you said, we've never really experienced it, certainly in America. Mm -hmm. You know, again, Not we, have for the, everyone. we have the language of democracy, yeah. but it doesn't <laughs> exist in, in place. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think if, I would say if America is the vision and democracy is its voice, then there's a line that I, that I have in one of my pieces that says, Your vision is only as powerful as your voice. And I think that that's one of the things that we have to remember is that this vision that we have for what America actually is requires us to use our voice to, to shape it and to galvanize others mm -hmm. around it. And that vision is nothing without us giving voice to it. So I think in that sense, democracy has to be sus as sustainable 
as the voice, otherwise the vision is not sustainable for what this, this nation is. Hmm. And if, you, if there's, a, there's a podcast called Seen on Radio, S-C-E-N-E on Radio, uh, and there's a the whole episode or se- uh, season on democracy, and it's it's brilliant. The whole podcast is brilliant. So if you're looking for something fascinating on the subject, uh, I would say that's your homework after this is done. All right. So last question that we have time for. Um, oh, in the live audience. <laughs> I know. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Perfect. You can be our last question, sir. Can you please just <laughs> say your name and your question briefly? Can you keep it to 10 minutes, too, please? Yeah. <laughs> Take your time, however much you need. I know these guys too well. Um, I just want to say my name is John Hensley, first of all. And secondly, Bosia, I understand where you're coming from, but you have given so much to poetry and to the world. For you to say that you're not doing enough mm-hmm. from this angle, hard to swallow. All right? Um, secondly, I feel like I've never been in a room before where there wasn't somebody new to spoken word that didn't walk away like, Oh my God, mm. there were these folks and they did this thing and now it's my jam, <laughs> right? And so exposure is a problem. Amplification of the art form is a problem. Um, there's so much more that can be done, but it's not on you. Um, what can corporate America, what can big money do to help amplify what you guys do? <laughs> um, like I said, for me, I, I, my career has been dedicated to to helping to create an industry. I realized that was a big purpose of my career because I, what I ran into so often was that low perceived value and the concept of the broke poet. So, so for me, it became a matter of saying the challenge is we don't have the infrastructure, we don't have agents and unions and people fighting for us and people creating opportunities for us. It's always like we're having to go in and, and it's the wild west. I've had managers that were managers for big artists and so forth and tried to apply the same techniques for us in poetry and they kept hitting walls because they couldn't use any of the same techniques because we don't have an industry and um and so i feel like for me a big part of it has been helping to helping um these other industries raise their perceived value of what we bring to our stages so that they want to go out and fight for us so that they want to create opportunities so that they want to book us so that they want to retain us so that they want to so and so so that we then can get to bigger and bigger platforms i feel like when you talk about are we doing enough and what's going to amplify uh the art forms it's it's people believing in the value and trusting in the value of the art form itself and all of us not having to be the first poet to ever blank, 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 the first representative. You know, Steve and I used to talk when we toured colleges, we would go and do so-and-so college and they'd be like, oh, you know, giving us the tour and the lay down, the, uh, the, the lay of the land and they'd be like, oh yeah, we had, you know, Bob the, uh, the comedian here mm-hmm. last week and he bombed, we're not having Bob back. Um, but it was when, we, when it was we had Bob the poet here. It was like we're not having poetry back, right. you know. And so there was just this sense of, yeah, that, <laughs> of like if one of us bombs, it's like we ruined it for the entire art form. And I think we need bigger because. and bigger platforms so that people know that we bring that value and they trust the power of that art form. So that Amanda Gorman is not the first time people have experienced spoken word poetry. Brandon Lee winning America's Got Talent is not like where is this poetry thing been all my life? It's been right around the corner at the poetry lab right up the street at Fly Poet. It's been around the corner from you your whole life. You need to tap into those venues because amazing talent lives there. We just need bigger platforms. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, just that, that, that the, it's funny because what he just said is, is the, 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 that story came to my mind, which is most people, because they haven't seen, they haven't been to the lounge or New Eureka or Fly Poet, so they don't know what poetry is. They know what they've been stigmatized into thinking it is. And and so if you go and see, you love comedy because you've seen great comics. And so if you go and see 10 shitty comics, you know, oh, those are just bad comics. But because you haven't had the experience and the exposure to see what a great poet does and what the difference is between, say, learning and workshopping and then getting to that point of Richard Pryor, of Kendrick Lamar, of Dave Chappelle, who, who to me, and I think what's fascinating, too, is more and more you see like Bo Burnham, Dave Chappelle, Kendrick Lamar, Beyonce. What's fascinating to me is that they're, they're evolving into a place where the box that their art form put them in, right, which they had to be in that box to get to where they are, but it, 
now that they're there, they're evolving into a place that doesn't have words for what they do. And to me, what they're doing now is poetry. And, and there's space for it because it's not poetry, it's Beyonce. It's not poetry, it's Kendrick Lamar. And I think part of what, what we've been, the work we've been doing to get to this moment is to realize that space, that extra that you do, Hip Hop Plus, that plus is poets. And I think that seeing people who've spent their whole life just doing that, there's, there's something exceptional to it. So figuring out how to amplify and, 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 and you know, and, and if people say, yo, I want more of that, then, then they'll get it. So. Well, I hope we figure out how to amplify it very soon because it's important and uh, we, we got to put in the work fast. Thank you all so much for this amazing conversation. Thank um, you. We need more of these. Moderator. Thank you so much. We need so much more of this, so much more. Um, it's time for us to close, everyone. I want to thank you all for your performances. Of course, thank you all for engaging in this conversation from here and from home. It's been an honor, like seriously. I know it's like on the paper, but it's been such an <laughs> honor to speak with each of you. And thank you to everyone in our audience for joining us tonight. You'll be able to find a summary of our talk on ZocaloPublicSquare.org by tomorrow, plus interviews with all of our panelists. You can subscribe to Zocalo's, Zocalo's newsletter and podcast for more great conversations and follow Zocalo on social media. Bo, Sekou, Steve, thank you for your incredible work. Everyone, please give our guests a big round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>